Hello, everyone. You probably are like, yo, it's been a while since Jack has talked directly to us because I kind of stopped doing that whole introduction to the podcast thing and just kind of dove right into the interviews, which I intend to continue to do. But if you've been keeping up on things and you know that we've taken kind of a brief hiatus, we were really focusing on finishing up some end of the year projects as well as getting some stuff gathered at PAX Unplugged. And now we are back. I have a whole bunch of interviews that I'm going to start putting back onto the channel. But I did want to do a little bit of housekeeping and let everyone who is on the podcast diverse side of the Cardboard Herald know that we have really been putting a lot of creative energy into our video channel, and we have tons of video interviews. In fact, most of the audio interviews that you hear on here have visual companions where you can actually see us as well as lots of other production flair, like having games pop up on screen or other relevant things to the stuff that we're talking about. But we also have been really doing a lot of video reviews and recommendations and all kinds of other stuff. So if you like what we do on the podcast, chances are you're going to like what we do there. And that is youtube.com slash the cardboard herald. Now, as for this, this is an interview that we're getting back to things with in an interview with David Smith of Winsmith Games, who, if you are listening to this interview, has just launched his premiere, his debut game on on Kickstarter, that's 10-gallon tank, and I totally think you should check it out. As a heads up, David Smith is my friend. I met him through doing the Cardboard Herald stuff, but we've actually spent time going to conventions together, and we chat online and send each other memes and stuff. So take that for what you will, but I think it's a great interview either way. And like I said, I got a whole bunch of other stuff to put up on the channel, including a lot of the interviews that I did at PAX Unplugged. We're going to have some of our convention wrap-ups, and then I've done a couple other interviews recently that we'll have up here and on the video channel. So with that out of the way, let's go ahead and get to the interview with David Smith of Winsmith Games. Hello and welcome back to another episode of the Cardboard Herald, my chance to talk with creative gamers and game creators. And here today I am joined by my friend, designer, co-owner of Winsmith Games. I am talking with David Smith. Welcome to the podcast, man. Hey, Jack. Th thanks for having me. It's been awesome here at PAX Unplugged. This is my second year. It's great to hang out with you and the Strike Force. Yeah, the, the crew. So for the people who are listening right now, uh, just a little bit of forewarning that uh, David and I actually met through the Cardboard Herald and him being a game designer and working on uh, getting ready for publishing games. But years ago at this point, and we've developed a friendship, and here we are actually in the Airbnb where we're both staying along with the rest of the uh, amazing Cardboard Herald crew, so we've been palling around all weekend. But this isn't the podcast where we're talking about the things that we're doing as friends. This is the podcast where we're talking about the things that you got coming out soon, and you are on the precipice of 10-gallon tank, my man. What is up with this? So, 10-gallon <clears throat> tank, it is a family weight strategy card game um it's plays two to five players it is about 15 minutes for a game 
And if you've played games like Sushi Go, Sunday Split, Go Nuts for Donuts, it's kind of in that realm of gameplay. Uh, my family and, and my friends and I, I love Sushi Go Party. Like that's that was a big inspiration to this game as well. Um, yeah, so that's that's what the game is about. We are so my friend and I. I'm only part of Winsmith Games. Uh, my friend Travis, I've known him for a long time. He's kind of more of the business side of things. Uh, he couldn't make it to PAX, but uh, we're in this together. And so we are looking to kickstart this. We're kind of on target for January 14th. So the audience will know that I'm kind of neurotic about uh, a lot of things. I, I have huge amounts of anxiety about being perceived in certain ways uh, or... or to feel like I'm bringing something inauthentic to anyone who's watching the Cardboard Herald or listening to the Cardboard Herald. And so I thought a lot about this going in, us being friends, but also you as a designer and seeing this game come to life. And I really wanted to make sure that as I talk to the audience about this game and what this this game is like and promoting you, that I'm not doing it as a favor to a friend. And so I wanted to check out the game itself first, which I did here at PAX. And oh my God, dude, that thing is dope. I mean, <laughs> I, I know there, there's a reviews down the road, but watching you at Unpub with all sorts of strangers coming in and playing this game uh, watching the response of anyone on the crew here playing this game and uh, any sort of response that I'm seeing from any point of interaction that is with 10-gallon tank, it seems like people are really energetic about this game. I think it's because it's so concise. It's so stripped down to its barest parts. You know, you mentioned Sushi Go and how Sushi Go is a a family weight game but i think it's more than that it's the distillation of drafting into its its barest bones and yes. it's viewing a mechanism as a full game in and of itself now this is a different style of drafting but it feels like it strips away all the 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 fluff and just delivers the best feelings in a game in a condensed 10 to 20 minutes did you think about that going in, like some uber elegant approach to game design mechanism as game? Yes, I, I, that was something we very actively thought on. And so part of the, the thoughts, the thought process at the beginning of this game was I like Sushi Go, <clears throat> I like Gonuts for Donuts, Sunday Split is an awesome, is, is an awesome game. And I kind of like the splitting mechanic that that game has. Mm -hmm, and mm -hmm. I like the drafting and the simplicity of Sushi Go. And so I was going for something like, okay, how can I, <clears throat> one, do something a little different um, to kind of set this game apart mechanically from that point of view. Um, but I also wanted to add a little bit more to it in terms of what are the interesting decision points. As a designer, I generally will look at a game and try and strip it down to what are the decision points that I'm given as a player. And so I wanted to think of that in this game as well. And so I did add a little bit more to the to the decision points of the game. 
Uh, I don't know if that's something you want me to talk about now going into what the game mechanically is a little bit about what sets it apart. We'll, we'll save that for the, the review. We'll put up a, a video on the channel. Um, I, I want to make sure that while we have the, the time on the podcast here itself, that we also get to know a little bit more about you as a designer, as a gamer. So let, let's backtrack. You know, we're here right now getting ready for kickstarting your first game, which has been playtested to death. When was the first time where you considered yourself a gamer, a gamer of any sort, whether it's family tabletop games with the, the, the monopolies and the risks as a kid, or whether it's video games, like what does gamer mean to you and when did you become one? Oh, that's a great question. Um, I've always been a gamer. <clears throat> I'm a middle brother. Of, I have an older brother, a younger brother. <clears throat> We're all about four or five or six years apart. Yeah, and I so, know what's up with that. <laughs> yep. <clears throat> but even as a little kid, I was designing games. I was taking games like Monopoly and, you know, making new versions of it. You know, even on, I've done it on eight and 11 by sheets of paper and called it fired man the game and they're <laughs> stupid little rolling like roll and move games like monopoly with like if you land here go back three spaces if you land here something something else happens you know you shoot a fireball at your opponent and they go back three spaces and you subjected your siblings <laughs> to these games absolutely okay. absolutely yeah <laughs> we we played them a lot one of my favorites though honestly is um we would take all our like superhero action figures or any kind of action figures from like Spider-Man, Daredevil. We were huge into Marvel comics and stuff. Uh, I'm sure you're familiar with Marvel. Oh, I, I think I've heard of it. I'll have to check it out sometime. Yeah. So we would take our action figures and we would draft them and do a, along our whole bedroom or our whole living room a war. Mm -hmm. And so you had each each side had half of the room that you started in. And there was generally an objective that we preset at the beginning of the game, but even before the draft, it might be go to the other side and collect you know, their flag and bring it back to your base, like a right. capture the flag. But every action, action hero figure would have its own one unique ability mm -hmm. and they all moved, could move like one foot on their turn. But we would take all our action figures, it could be 20, it could be 30, it could be 40, draft them you know, take turns picking and then it'd be a five or six hour game of just set up our action heroes and play, play a game. Isn't that so interesting? I mean, I think that's a natural thing for a lot of kids to do to create these rule systems for their action figures, even before they really understand that they're making rule systems. And I, I saw a, a video or maybe it was actually a, a podcast this American Life, that's what it was, where they were talking about how children view their world through rule systems because that's what's applied to them so often. Here's the rule of this, here's the rule of that. And so their points of interaction with other kids are often discussing the rules of what they're going to do ad infinitum to the point where the rule discussion is longer than the actual activity itself. And I, I totally know where you're coming from in applying these rules to action figures. I, I remember the first time where I went to a friend's house and he was like, hey, I'm going to take this X-Men action figure. You know, here I have Wolverine. I have the Brood. 
and I've created this game where you have to escape from them. And he just had eight and a half by 11 sheets of paper laid out on the floor with a rudimentary map drawn. And that, that seems to be a real common theme for a lot of the people who are designing board games. Now, when... I've, I've got to ask you, do you have a favorite action figure from a, being a kid? Oh, man. I think my favorite action figure when I was a kid was the Aliens action figures. Aww. Specifically, there's a, a line of toys, and it seems wild now to think that all these rated R movies had action figures that had, you know, RoboCop and uh, Alien and even, like, Nightmare on Elm Street and Friday the 13th. And, of course, I was watching those movies, but I probably shouldn't have been around eight years old. <laughs> But there was a queen alien that you squeezed the back of her head and the jaw would go forward and out. And it was just huge and towered over all the other action figures. I think you could also rotate her and then let go and she would spring back into place so the tail would whip. And you know He-Man was getting whipped, all G.I. Joes, like everything was just like... And then that jaw just jetting out. How about you? Man, my favorite, I'll never forget, we had a Batman action figure, and the, it had a grappling hook. Yeah, yeah. And the little grappling hook had a tiny little, like, button that would rewind it. Mm-hmm. <clears throat> and you aim it, you press a button, and it'd shoot, I don't know, maybe a foot and a half or so. Uh-huh. But I always, that was, like, my first or second pick in our, like, draft, like, hero drafts. And I would use it to, like, climb over, like, couches and stuff that, like the hero the character normally wouldn't be able to and he was like kind of my reconnaissance like the character do you remember all those batman toys it was particularly with the batman line but i think other toys did this where they would just reissue toy after toy after toy but this is like the dark knight armor this is the ice armor this is the space action armor and i felt like Batman never wore that in the comic right. books. Like, what's going on here? But it did make a pretty cool <laughs> toy, and you could swap around the accessories and everything. So I, I have a fondness for that. We we did those too, and every armor <laughs> set that you chose to put on was a different power that Batman got. I think that may come from us playing early JRPGs or something, where we were like, we must change the equipment over here, but it has to be allocated equipment. You can only have one thing in a hand. You can only have one armor. Yeah, oh, man. Yeah. So let's talk about tabletop games in a more modern sense. When did you come into the hobby as we know it today? I'll probably get a lot of grief for this, but the first like board game I played that wasn't mass market, <clears throat> I think was Quelf. Okay. Have you, have you ever played Quelf? I have not played Quelf. <laughs> it is a roll and move game and it is a party game. But it's really silly, really goofy. The different there are different colored spaces, kind of like Candyland. That when you roll on it, you had to do something to either advance or, uh, and depending on which category, you might move back if you failed to do it. Some of them were rules that would apply to you. That for the rest of the game, if you didn't, if someone caught you not following it, they could call you on it and you go back. Or some there was a global rule. Sometimes you might get a global rule that applies to everyone. And if someone's not caught doing it, they go back. Um, it was silly, goofy. It doesn't really meet to, the, to today's like standards of true gameplay. And even kind of as a party game, it's not the best. But it was the first game I played that wasn't Risk, which is great. Uh, <laughs> Monopoly, Scrabble, you know, the, the mass market games. And that actually kind of brought me into the hobby. Okay. And when was the first time that you <clears throat> played a game and you 
felt that childlike compulsion to start messing around with the game itself or dabble into considering yourself a game designer? The first, <clears throat> the first Kickstarter I backed, <clears throat> me and my older brother went half season. <clears throat> it's called Myth. Okay, yeah, and, yeah, yeah. Yeah, it's a very tactical, miniatures, heavy uh, dungeon dungeon crawler. <clears throat> I grew up on Magic. I grew up playing a lot of D and D, and it was the first board game that I really played that was a dungeon crawler. Yeah. Uh, I even got that before I got my first D and D adventure board game, uh, which I like this a lot. So. Um, after playing Myth, though, is when I was like, I love how they did the card crafting system and like your hero has some deck building elements, but what if it did this instead? And I started thinking about like, I want, I started seeking out like what would be my ideal dungeon crawler. And I looked and I watched so many videos online and reviews and never found one. So I'm like, well, what if I just make one? Yeah. Yeah. And how did that turn out? Uh, a learning experience it was it was called the king's legion it's my first game design um it was very rough around the edges but Mm -hmm. it was neat it was fun it was fun learning i learned a lot about game design i learned a lot about just board games in general i worked on that game for over a year right now, the, the learning experience is probably the thing that I, I think would be the most valuable for people who are listening to this to, to understand kind of the world of indie game design right now. Like, not the, the, the big names that you've known putting out games for 20 years, though it's certainly applicable to them as well. But the, the people who are going to conventions and showing up to Unpub, who are showing off design after design, something they've been working on for years or something that they just put together like two weeks ago, like how long from when you were doing that original design till the point where you actually felt like you had a, a really solid game design was that period of time? Maybe about two years or so. So, like I said, I'd worked on the King's Legion for over a year. Uh-huh. And I had had friends play it after playing a bunch. A lot Got positive feedback, but a lot of them, I realized, were from friends who aren't board gamers. And so, eventually, I had other you know, gamer friends who are board gamers play it. And I started to realize, you know, it was not very... Um, it was a kitchen sink game. It was a kitchen sink game, exactly. And then, so I started working on another game that I got an idea at Washington, uh, probably about five, no, not five years ago, a while ago. And um, it was called GameCon. And that was the first game where like me and Travis got together uh, the, and played it a bunch. We really worked on it. <clears throat> and we thought that was going to be our first game. But we decided to hire a professional developer. Mm-hmm. that um, we just, again, I know and I, I'm an amateur at this, and we knew we were new at this, so we're like, <clears throat> let's just get a professional opinion on it. At the time, we thought we're like, they were just going to validate our game, but right, right. they really turned it around and be like, well, no, he was very critical and gave us a lot of feedback, but that was the most valuable thing we could have done because we thought we that game was ready. And how did that feel, receiving that <clears throat> feedback? Like, when someone was truly honest with you about something that you had put a lot of hard work into and you thought was a really quality product, you know, what's your reaction to that feedback at the time? I mean, right now, of course, you view it as like a valuable 
moment that has allowed you to get to where you are right now with <laughs> these games that are getting very positive responses. Right. But at the time, did you take it and go like, okay, that was important to hear, or was it a little uh, little harsher than that? He was very blunt. He <clears throat> he was a really nice guy, but he was very blunt. And yeah, it, it was a little tough to hear at first, <clears throat> especially since it wasn't my first game. I felt like I'd grown so much to that point. Right. Uh, and I know I have, but it was, I had this expectation that it was great and it was just going to be a really awesome game. Um, but yeah, it was a little bit tough to hear, but I think that's one thing having Travis on board too, he's not more on the design aspect uh, or the creative aspect, but he does kind of ring me in. I've known him since like sixth grade, but uh, it helped a lot to have him, you know, like kind of talk through it. We kind of dissected the feedback we got and kind of looked at it objectively. And so that, that did really help a lot. And what we, whenever I get feedback, even at Unpubs, like I try and get action items from everything. So I, we dissected that feedback, developed a bunch of action items and said, okay, how are we going to make this game better? And how are we going to be better because of it? So are there any design philosophies that you have now when you go into designing a new game? Because I know you have several designs that you're cooking up, which you intend to publish with Winsmith Games. Mm -hmm. And 10 Gallon Tank is going to be the debut, and I think that makes sense because it's a small package, but it's also a really tight game. It has wide appeal, the animal theme, it looks beautiful, but you have all these other designs and I, I, I've witnessed your work. I've seen your process to a degree, but when you're starting working on a game, are there any, I guess, design philosophies at work? Are there certain principles that you adhere to? Tell me about what, what you use to guide your practice. This, uh, the, the very first first one is fail fast, and that's not my wisdom. I've heard so many. I've been taught that, you know, listening to so many podcasts and reading so many blogs that fail fast. Just get your idea on the first thing. Honestly, is I'll get my idea on paper and just read it. Like, what's mm -hmm. what's the? I'll break it down. Like, what is the game objective? What's the winning condition? What are the core mechanics? What do I want players to feel when they're playing the game? And then I. I at, the, at that 10,000 foot overview level, I'll evaluate it. And then I'll start putting some more hard rules on it. And then I'll, I wanna develop a prototype as soon as possible. So that's a big part of it is get it out there, even if it's just solo, solo play testing or playing with my brother one random you know game night or something or Travis, it will be this fail fast, get it to the table, see what works, what doesn't work. And that's where you'll quickly find things that don't work well at all and you'll realize that idea in your head isn't, isn't as good as it is but you'll find the things that did work well and you might <clears throat> take the game in another direction or just focus on those elements so i know that you are a musician you're a drummer you started playing music around the sixth grade so around the time that you were meeting travis and did you ever play in bands growing up did you write songs or anything like that no, no, I didn't. I played just in school band and marching band. Um, 
I had a drum set in my room at home, which was conveniently situated right next to the wall of my parents' bedroom. So <laughs> got a lot of grief from that. And yeah. I had very strict timelines that I could even play in practice. But um, I never joined a band. No, that wasn't mm-hmm. something. The marching band I went to actually had a very competitive battering. And so the drummers there were really good. Um, I was never first or second or, you know, third tier in our drum line. So well, uh, they were you, really good. You know, the audience knows I'm going to work that kind of stuff in any time that I can, but I think it's actually applicable here because whether you're talking about a creative process and writing music or it's stand-up comedy, I think the advice of fail fast is, is something that's relevant to anything that you're presenting to an audience, you know? If you're doing something just for you, take as much time as you want, you know, but if you're putting it out there for the world to enjoy, that is, you know, some sort of artistic endeavor. And we can argue later about whether board games are art or, you know, what constitutes art, any of that kind of stuff. But as far as I'm concerned, anything that is trying to say something or communicate something from a creator to an audience is in that realm of art and i remember when i was in my earliest worst bands uh you you still had to write a song and finish that song you couldn't just start songs and never finish them you had to finish a song so that way you could objectively look at it and say like is this a success or is it not a success because that will let you develop the skills for writing complete better songs if you can start out just writing songs and going, eh, this this doesn't even work, or I'm not going to finish this one, I'm going to move on to the next thing. You, you never develop that kind of discipline, and you also don't have anything to show to an audience to get the direct feedback. You know, like, you don't really have it within yourself to be objective <clears throat> about your own creative work, and so you need something to present, and that's what I think is so key about Unpub, and it has been really fascinating for me going to PAX Unplugged for the last couple of years is because PAX is very supportive of Unpub. There's a, a huge design community here. Why don't you you explain to the audience a little bit about like what is the Unpub experience and what that affords game designers and what it feels like to be someone who is new to Unpub as you once were? <coughs> That's a great question. I know <clears throat> I know. we talked on a little bit yesterday. What I like about Unpub is they just give you a platform. They give you a platform to <clears throat> put your designs on the table and people come in and play them and they give you feedback. And it's just a platform to, uh, to learn and grow as a designer, to, de- to develop your games, <clears throat> to get people who are better... Obje- more objective than friends and family, uh, or even other local game design designer meetup. You know, from meetups that there's one in, in DC. I go to a bunch, but this is just more objective feedback. And so, <clears throat> they also take. You can have a game that you just designed that morning on index cards. I've seen that. So, uh, or <laughs> it could be like ten gallon tank. We have a finished, you know, pre-production copy that's. It's done other than minor little tweaks on like a box graphic or something. So there's the whole gamut and range of where a game is in in development there. And 
generally people give you really good feedback. So that's the platform of Unpub is you go, um, it's generally a very cheap cost and you get a table to throw your designs on and they get a lot of traffic as well. So my very first concern generally has been like, oh man, am I going to you know, spend you know six hours in this room and only get like two play tests? Yesterday, I, I had people always, almost always waiting to play. So that's really nice. And that's the platform they provide. And that's how, as a designer, I get critical feedback on, on games there. Do you have any specific feedback that you got <clears throat> on 10 gallon tank since its conception that has fundamentally changed how the game worked or was it relatively fully formed once you started showing it off? So at PAX or Unpub Prime this year was the first time that I really took it for any kind of public playtesting. Mm-hmm. It had gone through a lot of playtesting at home with friends and family, but um, yeah, that was in March. And yeah, I got a lot of critical feedback there. Um, but <clears throat> mostly it was just kind of refining all the things that didn't work. So I, there was a lot more content in the game then uh, than, than there is now. And so I had a lot more public goals and some of them were just kind of finicky. Um, so there were more types of fish and some of those were kind of finicky or they added mechanics that didn't really, it just bogged bog the game down a little bit more or it opened the game up to more specific questions and FAQs that, again, we wanted this to be kind of a tight, concise game, like you said. So there's when we really started to figure out what fish really worked, what didn't work. Um, so yeah, that was kind of the first point where we got a lot of really good feedback. And what about from here? So you are going to kickstart this game, and unless you're going to be charging people $800 per copy, I have a pretty good feeling that this is going to be something that there's an audience for who are interested in this game. If not the theme alone, the actual mechanics. Like It, it really feels like kind of a, a brilliant thing as a, a game player you know someone who who takes time to think about what this is in front of me what's the concept going on you know what does this do for game design overall it it feels like something that is so simple that it's shocking that it hasn't been done before and i haven't seen anything quite like it um but you're going to do this Kickstarter. Hopefully you fund. What about other projects? Like where, where do you see Winsmith Games going from here? Well, <clears throat> we have a lot of other games in the pipeline. Um, I think I have 17 or 18 games designed. Um, most of them have been shelved. Uh, but I probably have like six or seven that are, you know, quote unquote in development and they're along some stage. And I have, I've been working on them in some capacity over the last six or seven months. Mm-hmm. Um, some of those are really close to being done or they've gone through a lot of development and we feel they're pretty much ready. We kind of have our next two games lined up already. So. What does it mean to you that a game is done? Like, at what point do you say, I've cooked this enough, I don't want to overwork it? So, another game we have is called... um, Why am I blanking on the name right now? It is a a puzzly tile laying game, and 
man, why am I blanking on it? So that game has gone through a lot of playtesting. And it's done in the sense that we've gone to multiple playtesting events. We've gotten feedback from a lot of people. And the amount of, uh, of feedback that we get is just kind of diminishing, diminishing, you know, a lot of diminishing return almost that no one's say we're not finding anything to change or revise. Uh, so it's done in the sense that it's not a lot more of that game is going to change. Uh, I have a couple action items, but it, on that game to kind of think about and revise and, and, but it's not anything mechanical in nature. It's more of, trying to make the game easier to read for the player people there's an orientation you know um so if you're sitting across the table from me how do i make it so both players who are looking at the, at the the board from different angles how does that how do i make it easier for both players but mechanically the game probably won't change that much you know something i've never asked a designer about which i i think it would be a good way of kind of wrapping up this conversation because you you have talked about how you got into game design and then you have all these other designs when i think of the the types of games that you played with your brothers as a kid or the types of things that attracted you your first kickstarter that you and your brother backed a I split you choose drafting game about fish that takes place over 15 minutes doesn't sound like the original vision of what the the type of game player you wanted to be. And I know that's contrary to your preference in games now because I've played lots of games with you and you love those those fast family friendly games, but are there games that you feel are actually out of your wheelhouse or maybe out of your level of expertise now that you want to work your way towards like you know that that gloomhaven ish huge rpg type of campaign game do you think <coughs> that that's something that you may revisit someday once you've developed skills or, or what are the the barriers to the the types of games that really turned you on to gaming in the first place so yes, dungeon dungeon crawlers were kind of my jam, you know, when I started getting the games because it just the nostalgia of like playing D D and D, but on a board, and <clears throat> they were just more accessible from that sense. Um, I would really love to get back into that eventually. Um, the barriers I have for those types of games are just they're bigger games, and I know that I'm less experienced in game design. I mean, even obviously a lot less experienced in publishing stuff. So we just want to have a little bit more experience under our belts. I want to go through, we've strategically talked about what games are we going to pub publish first and the order of our next game. And we, like I said, we have kind of our next two games already planned out. And we chose 10 gallon tank first because it is the smaller box, less risk. And we just wanted it to do something a little simple, um, but still fun. And so I think our goal is to work things up. We have another game that was my third game design called Flicked and Furious. The feedback we've gotten on that is unreal. We know like that's a game people want. It is a game that requires a 44 inch by 28 inch neoprene mat to, to really get the experience that players want. And yeah. we've tried other materials, but everyone says we want the mat yeah. because it's big, it's 
bright, it's brilliant, it's colorful, it's beautiful. And anything less than that isn't fun or isn't as fun. And that's the game we want to publish. And that's, that's the big one for us. That's the top echelon. Even though it's a simple game, it is a logistically and production-wise very difficult you know, game. Um, we've pitched that to publishers who have said they love it, but they wouldn't publish it just because the size of it and how hard it would be to publish. So we, we're trying to work our way to that game. Um, and then maybe if we want to start going to like bigger games, like bigger dungeon crawlers or heavier euros um, or a bigger worker placement, we just want to work our way up to that, I think. Um, and we're just taking it one step at a time. Well, I think you are you are approaching this with the exact mindset that you should, and I, I think people are going to be really impressed with 10-Gallon Tank. And bringing it back to the, the music metaphor earlier, I think that there's something to be said about the skill that it takes to create something that is very concise as opposed to something that is that kitchen sink. And even though you're saying you that you're an inexperienced designer and you want to work your way up, the <clears throat> development that I can tell has already happened to, to get you from making that kitchen sink game into something so restrained and elegant as where you're at right now shows that you really know what you're doing and so i i can't wait to see where you're going not just as a designer but as my friend so i appreciate you coming on to the show david awesome thanks jack i really as always the cardboard herald is a completely free service focused on spotlighting games gamers and game creators you can find all of our podcasts, including the Cardboard Herald and TCBH reviews on iTunes, Stitcher, and our website. For more recommendations and reviews, you can also head over to our YouTube channel. We do not pay to advertise the show, so please continue spreading the word, following, liking, rating, and doing all the social media things. It truly does help us out a ton. If you'd like to drop us a line and maybe have your listener mail read on air, find us on Twitter at Cardboard Herald or send us an email to CardboardHerald at gmail.com or click the contact link on our page. Once again, thank you for listening. I've been Jack for the Cardboard Herald, and you keep on gaming.